I'm Hannah, and I'm the pastor at the Wicker Park site of Urban Village, and I'm so happy to be here with you today. Um, your pastor, Chris, uh, is at Wicker Park. We're doing a little pulpit switch. There's going to be more of them throughout the year so that the sites of Urban Village can get to know each other, for which I am really grateful because uh, I'm new. <laughs> so it's wonderful to be here with you today. And, and before, um, before we talk about the good enough life, before I preach today, I want to preach about something else, <laughs> um, which is that I want to thank you. I want to thank you. Um, I've been a pastor at Urban Village for eight months. Many of you have built Urban Village for much longer than that. And particularly uh, this South Loop location, those of you who are here for the first time, um, this is the tree, right? This is the tree from which has sprouted fruit across the city. Four sites that are gonna become more sites. Um, people who have become planters, people who have been transformed uh, by an ethic of inclusion and mercy and justice. And I, something that I have found in my time at Urban Village is that once you're here, it can be easy to forget, can be easy to forget how special this place is, how amazing this place is, how unique this place is. But I have spent years as a Christian, <laughs> I grew up non-Christian and converted, and I have spent years as a pastor, um, and for every single one of those years, I have had people ask me if there is a church where they can ask questions and not be kicked out. If there is a church where they can be gay, be trans, and fully worship the Lord. If there is a church where they can care deeply about anti-racism and social justice, and also care deeply about their own souls and want music that makes you feel something inside. right? A church that is a church and not a social club. A church that is a movement and not a, a club for the best of us. Um, and there were a lot of years where I had to tell people that there was a sacrifice they would have to make, right? That you could have this one thing over here, but not the other thing you had asked for. Or you could go to this church, right? And you could have this thing that you care about, but not the other thing. And while we are imperfect, and we are broken, and we are growing, and there is plenty of room, <laughs> um, I now have a place where I can say to people, I know a place that does all of those things. <laughs> I know a place that cares about all of the parts of you. You should really try it, and it's called Urban Village. And that's because of something that you all have built. Um, and the thing about building and growing is that it takes a lot of energy, right? <laughs> I have a toddler, um, and she has to take multiple naps a day because growing up is hard, right? <laughs> and growing up takes a lot out of us. Um, and you may have felt like you have given a lot, and you have but you have built something extraordinary, and if you haven't heard it lately, I want to thank you for it. Amen? Amen. All right, so let's pray together. God, thank you for bringing us together on this day. Thank you for your mission, your bold, inclusive, and relevant mission, your heart and head mission, your merciful and just and humble mission. Thank you for meeting us where we are, and God, we ask that today the words of our mouths, the meditations of our hearts would be yours, and if and when they're not, that we would be brave enough to say sorry or to start over, to try again tomorrow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. January is a big month um, for thinking about who we want to be and how we want to live. 
right? We kicked it off at the beginning of the month with the solar new year. Uh, a lot of you may have gone out the 31st, slept in a little bit on the 1st, right? Had some fun, thought about resolutions, how you want to be, like how fit you want to be, how awesome you want to be, how successful you want to be, right? The things that you want next in your life. Um, we are starting a new chapter as a country. We've had an inauguration that no matter what happens next will have enormous consequences for all of us. And so we're thinking about who we want to be as a community, who we want to be as a nation, who we want to be as resistors of hatred and promoters of love and justice. A week from now, we will celebrate uh, the Lunar New Year, right? We're going to enter the year of the rooster, uh, which is always supposed to be like a year of waking up, a year of um, new energy. We're going to see where that's going to be in our lives. And, and when we think about that stuff, I think, at least for me, it's easy to fall into, as I think about who I want to be and how I want the world to be, to fall into the, wor the patterns that the world has set for me in that, right? Um, that when you set goals for your life, uh, it should be to uh, get the, the best promotion or to have the most people admire you, right? um, to impress the greatest number of strangers on the street, um, to be perfect and to be excellent and to be all of the things that we think will earn us love and admiration wherever we go. Um, and then that's really terrible and painful because that's never going to happen. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> And, and it's just really hard to figure out how to live. This was, when I first became a Christian, it was really hard because I would read and I'd be like, oh, okay, I have to give up all of my stuff and pray all the time. Great, will do. <laughs> and then, uh, and then yeah, that was hard to do. And then I would feel this enormous guilt, right? This enormous guilt and uh, pain inside of myself. Like why could, I loved Jesus and I loved God and why couldn't I do all of these things that it felt like God was calling me to do and that I knew would make the world better? Why couldn't I do it? Because uh, I'm human, turns out. Uh, and so are you. <laughs> um, and so at Urban Village, we're trying to flip the script a little bit, right? To think about the Beatitudes that tell us that actually whatever the world tells you, usually Jesus wants the opposite. Like, not always, but like most of the time, right? Safe bet. Uh, if there's something you grew up thinking, opposite day <laughs> on that. Uh, first will be last, last will be first. Uh, and, and we've been guided by this Micah 6, 8 passage that if you guys grew up Christian, as I did not, I hear, uh, you may have sung a song about a camp, right? Or you may have had like a little hand thing that you did in church. Micah 6, 8, uh, that, that what God is calling us to do in our lives is to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. Not to achieve justice, be perfect in mercy, and be the humblest, humble person who ever walked the earth, right? But to make efforts in those areas, right? To guide our practice and our effort by justice, by mercy, and walking humbly with our God. And that's joined today by a scripture that says that above all things, we try to love our neighbor and love ourselves. Today is Mercy Day. What's the deal with mercy? What would it mean for us if we were to flip that script, change our values, orient ourselves differently, set a different goal for ourselves this January? What would it mean to love mercy? What does that actually look like in your life? Um, the word for mercy in Hebrew is uh, this word hesed, which is also translated sometimes not as mercy, but as one word, loving kindness, which is one of my favorites, right? All is one, loving kindness, um, that gets at this idea that it's 
It's an extraordinary capacity for compassion to others and love from our hearts. And there's one other time that I've seen that word written that way, loving kindness all as one. Uh, a few years ago, I was having a really tough time. <clears throat> um, all of that, uh, it turns out, all of that guilt that I felt at the beginning of my, my Christian experience was not a, not a one-time deal, but a lifelong struggle. <laughs> um, and I was going through a big depression. And for the first time, and I really commend this to you, I sought help. <laughs> um, and I found the greatest gift I'd ever found, which was someone who was both a spiritual director, she was an Episcopalian priest, and she had a PhD in psychology and could be my therapist. So I got a two for one, <laughs> and it was really great. Um, and so we did all of the family of origin stuff, and we did all of the talking through stuff, and then she gave me this gift, this tool, um, that really changed things for me for a couple of months, which was, um, something called the loving-kindness meditation, which is a Buddhist meditation. Um, the Pali word for loving-kindness is metta. So if you're a basketball fan, that's where metta world peace comes from. Trivia facts. Um, <clears throat> the loving-kindness meditation, which is an ancient Buddhist practice where you sit as you do in any kind of meditation, and you start um, with yourself. Uh, may I be free of harm and no safety. May I be happy. May I be filled with joy. May I um, be connected to the world, right? Thoughts of warmth and loving kindness and goodness for yourself, and you just concentrate on them. You go through the list. And then you pick someone um, who has shown unconditional love to you. Maybe in your life that's a parent. Maybe in your life that's really not your parent. Uh, and it is your mentor right, or your pastor, or somebody else, and you pick someone who's shown loving kindness to you, and you uh, wish all those same things towards them. Safety from harm, and happiness, and wholeness, and freedom. And then you pick someone who you're really close to, like a BFF, or your spouse, or, um, you know, just someone who you feel really tight with, your, like, work wife, work husband, whoever it is, and you wish those same things towards them, the safety from harm, the happiness, the joy, um, the, the experiences in the world that you want them to have. And then you pick a neutral person, someone who, you know, served you coffee that day, or someone who you see a lot uh, but don't know well, and you wish all those same things towards them. And then you pick an enemy, right? You've practiced the muscle. <laughs> you've stretched it. You've gone from self to other that I love, to other that I don't know very well, to other that makes me mad. You're stretching yourself and your capacity for loving kindness. Um, and you wish for your enemy, whoever that is, um, safety and joy and happiness. And after that, you try and stretch your capacity even farther and wish those things for the whole world, for the whole community. And you do that every day, and you learn a lot about yourself. <laughs> um, one, that you get distracted really easily. This is true of anyone I've ever known who started a meditation, right? The distraction is not a sign that it's not working. It's a sign that you are, exist. Um, and so you get distracted a lot, right? That's one thing that you learn. Um, it's really hard to remember the orders and thing you might learn. You might learn about yourself what you wish for other people, right? What's the thing that you're most scared of? But I think another thing we learn is who is it hard for us to give mercy to? Who is it hard for us to give mercy to? Because um, for each one of us, it's going to be different. 
And this is where I'm so impacted by Jesus's call that we love our neighbor as ourself, and that comes out of the love that God has for us. Because both parts are important. It's really hard to love your neighbor if you don't love yourself, and it's really hard to love yourself if you don't love your neighbor. Um, it's not just about one or the other, it's about all of the things and all of the people. So for some people, mercy towards yourself is the hardest thing you could ever ask for. It's the hardest thing. The standards you set for yourself are cruelly high. Your self-talk in your mind is things you would never say to anyone else in the world, right? You find it hard to show mercy towards yourself, hard to be kind to yourself, hard to love yourself, hard to wish good things for yourself. And you will learn in that first verse how hard it is, right, if you give it a try. That love of mercy um, isn't just about becoming the most merciful person. It's loving the mercy that we have been offered the concrete, unassailable promise in Jesus Christ that it actually doesn't matter at all what we have done and who we have been. We are loved in a deep and profound way. We are valuable. We are valuable in a way that can never be made less or be marred. That we are loved and we are good and we have been created and there's good things inside of us. Right? Not that we're perfect, not that we don't mess up, right? This is, I always say, the danger is that Jesus loves me becomes Jesus agrees with me. <laughs> that when you start to know that you're loved, you think that everything you do is like totally cool. Um, no, it's that, it's right, it's that you are totally loved. And if you really knew that, it would enable you to treat others differently as well as treating yourself differently. You are loved. Show mercy to yourself. You don't have to do all the activities to impress anyone. You don't have to have the good face on all the time on Facebook to show people that you're strong and you got it together and that you've done all the good justice, right? And that you're like the best parent or the best whatever. Show mercy to yourself because God has shown mercy to you. How hard on God, right, to give us these extraordinary gifts and watch us just throw them away over and over again. For some of us, it's us, that it's hard to show mercy to. And then for some of us, it's, it's others, for most of us at one point or another, right? Um, it's hard to show mercy, um, especially if it's hard to show mercy towards ourselves. I've noticed in myself, this love your neighbor as yourself, right, is like they're connected. Um, the times in my life when I am the worst towards other people are the times in my life when I'm the worst towards myself. When my self-talk is the worst, right? When I'm the most insecure, when I'm the most nervous about what comes next, when my life is in a time of transition, or if I'm not sure who I am, or if I'm not sure if I'm doing things right, that is when I, in my everyday transactions, start to get a little more curt in my language, right? It's when I start to be a little harder on my significant other and my, uh, my siblings. It's when I, um, all of that, that anger inside of me comes out on other people. When you're nervous, when you're insecure, when you haven't shown mercy to yourself, you may not notice it, you may not think it, you may not think it's real, but you are showing less mercy to other people. It may be in a Midwestern passive-aggressive silent way, <laughs> um, right? Or it may be in the like loud, bold, everyone notices it way. Uh, but you are not being merciful towards others if you're not being merciful towards yourself. Um, and 
being merciful towards others is important because just as we mess up and just as we err, so does everybody else. And if you're walking around um, not able to form connections to people unless they conform to your expectations, not able to love people unless they always do it right, you will be alone, and alone is one of the hardest things to be. As painful as it is, um, when our relationships with others are broken up, that's what they feel when we have no capacity to be merciful to the people around us and to say, you know, like, that wasn't great, but we can move forward. We can find a way, right? I can find love and kindness in myself, and I can wish things for you um, that aren't easy because that's what God has done for me. What mercy is, is a transformational power, right? It's not just saying, um, I have mercy on you, go forth and be forgiven. You know, it's like, it, it's that it transforms the world from one where punishment and judgment are the main way we think about our relationships to one where love and a capacity to move forward are the main way that we think about our relationships. It just transforms away that judgment and pain and punishment piece. I find in myself, I'm a parent, right? I said this at the beginning, I have a year and a half year old. Uh, and um, I love her and I wanna be like a cool parent and I wanna teach her all the best things and I want her to be happy. And it's amazing to me how frequently in the back of my head, if she does something, you know, especially something that's dangerous, that scares me. Um, if she tries to run off when we're on the sidewalk near a car, um, or if she, you know, this morning, she just, she wants to brush her teeth all the time. She wants to brush her teeth like 15 times a day. And she keeps on sucking off the toothpaste instead of like actually brushing. Um, and so I'm like, is that, is that gonna hurt her? <laughs> and so my, my first instinct is always to give her a talking to, right? You know, Annabelle, don't do that. That is very dangerous. I somehow think that, um, like punishment and fear are the best way to instill it in her. And I'm not saying draw no boundaries, but I have been questioning myself. Like, why do I think that that works? <laughs> why do I think that that's the only way to talk to her about something? Um, why do I think that there's not a way to just live out the right way and make it enjoyable and happy and show her safety and tell her that I care about her in a way that's not scary? Why do I think that only scary works? Because most of our world says that only scary works, right? It says that punishment and fear are the only way that we can change behavior and the only way that we can live together. And what loving mercy says is that that is a pernicious lie and that is not the way of God. <laughs> that mercy in relationships says that punishment and judgment are not the only way that we move forward and not the only way that we relate. Now here's the danger on the other side. Right? Any theology, uh, any you know, piece of thinking about God, like there's the danger on this side and the danger on that side. <laughs> um, the danger on this side is what I have heard as a pastor from so many um, people in abusive relationships with um, partners or parents uh, or bullies at work, right? Like bosses who treat you uh, terribly or steal your wages. Um, which is that I have had people in all of those situations uh, who grew up in the church say to me, but Pastor Hannah, I know I should forgive them because that is what Jesus wants me to do. And that isn't mercy either because that is a cheap, a cheap false mercy 
that's not about transforming relationships towards love. Um, it's about enforcing the oppression and pain of the relationships that already exist, right? Just submitting to mistreatment is not what mercy looks like, and it's not what we are being demanded of, and it's not what we are being called to do. That I, so, here's, like, I publicly speak a lot, and I promise you, in 98% of those times, I do not quote the dictionary, <laughs> but it's useful today. <laughs> so I'm gonna do it. Um, and, and because I was, I was getting confused about this like double danger of mercy, where we can lack it in our lives and it can form all of these barriers in our relationships because we think there has to be um, you know, what we think fairness is or what we think judgment is, or on this other side, that we overcorrect and think what mercy is is uh, like letting anything pass and, and that justice isn't real. And I looked up mercy, and what it says is that mercy is when someone with power who has the capacity to punish does something different. Does something different. So when we in a relationship are powerless, we may for our own benefit want to remove anger from our lives, right? I've heard that that can be truly helpful for some people. Um, I don't want to be motivated by anger. I, I want to find forgiveness in my heart. Um, and that is fine. Oh, anger is also fine. Like Jesus got angry really a whole lot. So don't eliminate anger from your life. Um, but when you lack power, it's basically impossible to show mercy in that way. And so it's not what you are being called to do. You're not being called to make the relationship better when the other person continues to oppress you, right? <laughs> um, and I was, I was reading this week about um, First United Methodist in Kenosha. Some of you may have seen this story. Uh, First United Methodist in Kenosha, about 30 years ago, when the United Methodist Church across the world um, first started to, to set rules, to set punishment, to set judgment around LGBTQ persons in ministry, um, they fired their associate minister who was gay, who was openly gay. And, um, that is just such a profound injustice to both that man and to the community. Um, it's difficult for me to imagine the pain that that must have caused to so many people. And this weekend, they have become a reconciling congregation recently, which means that they are LGBTQ affirming. And so the way that they're kicking that off is that they have invited him back for them to apologize, to say what we did was wrong, and for him to speak to them about how they might move forward. Now he can give them mercy, right? For the last 30 years, he might have removed the anger from his heart so that he could move forward. Um, he might not have, like, I'm sure that he didn't wake up every day and be like, First United Methodist Church of Kenosha, right? Like, that's not helpful to him. That's not, like, that hurts him. Um, but it, it wouldn't have been right either for the church to say to him, Oh, they fired you, but show mercy to them, right? They're, ju they're just messing up, you know? They're just an error. And in, in 1982, he could not have showed them mercy because they had not been honest about what had happened. They were still living in a lie about what had occurred. Um, and now mercy can be shown because the power has been restored to where it is in God's kingdom. He could have mercy in all of his other relationships, our relationships that are equal, or our relationships where we're a little bit on top, but he, he couldn't, right? It's like not real until someone has recognized what is happening. 
And that's how we can be people of mercy and of justice. People often talk about mercy and justice as if you like pick one, right? Um, I'm gonna be merciful towards that person or I'm gonna be just towards that person. But that's only if we define justice as some fair eternal scheme of punishments that should be meted out to people for their actions. And that's not how God defines justice. Justice is a world of right relationships. Justice is a world that feels like the kingdom. And that kingdom has mercy in it. So justice and mercy always are joined. They are always paired. They are always friends. We don't have to pick one or the other. We don't have to pick one or the other. We seek to be people of mercy in every relationship that we have. And we seek wisdom to know when a situation is about justice and we need to pray that mercy will become available once everybody in the situation recognizes what's actually going on, what's really happening, who's at risk, and who's in pain. Mercy and justice. And this is where mercy becomes a part of how we ask for justice, a part of how we seek it. One of the most common prayers in the Christian church, right, is, Lord, have mercy on me. There's so many litanies where that's how everything ends. Lord, have mercy on me. I've had two songs stuck in my head all week as I think about this sermon, and one of them is Mr. Mister's Curie Eleison. If any of you know that song. Um, it's like a great 80s uh, you know, power ballad. Um, uh, Curie Eleison, down the road that I have traveled. Uh, Curie Eleison. Um, and it's, it, Lord, have mercy, right? It's the most ancient prayer in the church. Lord, have mercy on me as I do this thing called life. Lord, have mercy on us as we try this thing called church. And the other song that's in my head is uh, Marvin Gaye's Mercy, Mercy Me. Because that is about mercy as this quality of a just, peaceful kingdom world, right? He says, mercy, mercy me. Uh, things ain't what they used to be, which I was, you know, things have kind of always been this way. But he is looking at the things that have changed. He's looking at um, radiation underground, it says. He's looking at the fish in the sea, and he just cries out to God for mercy. Because he knows that when mercy comes, justice will too. That mercy is the quality of God that says, yes, we have been profoundly unjust. Yes, we have been profoundly painful to one another. But the underlying knit fabric of the world that God has created is a merciful one in which there is always the capacity to transform towards love. We never lose that chance. We never lose it. It doesn't come automatically. Sometimes we have to work for it, but it's never, ever gone because it is in how we were created. Mercy, mercy me, things ain't what they used to be, but Lord have mercy on us. It is the greatest prayer of the church, and it's one that we must seek after. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Lord Jesus Christ, may mercy be the way that we go forward, because loving our neighbor and loving ourselves has become really hard. <laughs> but I still want to do it. Seeing where justice might come from is really hard, but I still want to do it. The mercy that God has extended us for how cruel we have been to each other, for how harmful we have been to each other, for how unjust we have been to each other, and still babies get born. And still joy lives in our hearts and we leap up at songs or balloons or cakes or whatever floats your boat, right? 
The existence of that extraordinary feeling in the face of what we have done is proof every day that mercy wins. And so we keep praying. No matter how bad it seems, no matter how much it hurts, we keep praying, Lord, have mercy on us. Because we have seen time and time again that it doesn't have to be about punishment and harm. It can be about love and transformation. And we trust, oh God, that you will meet us in it. Have mercy on us, God. We need it. Amen? Amen. 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 Thank you so much for having me here today. Um, and I want us to move forward in mercy. And part of what mercy is, right, is action. It's like using ourselves and our bodies. And all of that takes resources and it takes people. So we're about to have time of offering. Um, I, don't, I don't know what it is here. Buckets, baskets, bins, some sort of something. Um, it's going to come around to you. It's going to come around to you. And we ask that you would put in, if you can donate your resources to this mission that I truly believe is changing the world, you do that. If it's your first time and you can't, you don't do that. But what you, I hope you do, no matter what, is put in your tear-off, uh, which will tell us who you are and how you might change the church. And as we take that offering, um, as we offer ourselves to the church, we remember the way that God offered God's self to us first. God offered God's self to us first. Um, and I'm just, I'm supposed to be doing communion, right? Nobody else is. Okay, I agree. <laughs> Didn't want to steal anybody's thunder. Uh, 